Hello, hello. Uh, I'm back with Pastor Tony Robinson. The last time when we did this great podcast, he got didn't get recorded, so he's back to uh, talk about Revelation chapter 12 again. And I want you guys to welcome uh, Pastor Robinson. Hi, hello. Hello, Sima. Hello, everyone that's watching. Yeah, thank you again for doing this. Uh, I'm hoping uh, we can maybe pick up where we left off in, uh, is it the chiastic structure where, I guess, how do you uh, shorthand define that, you know, where the mm -hmm. starts to go from top to the middle and then out again? How would yes. you say that? Yeah, so the Bible, uh, the Bible is mainly written in thematic patterns, not necessarily chronological order. And a chiastic structure is one of the main uh, thematic patterns that it uses. And so, in a chiastic structure, uh, basically a story. Let's take one story. Uh, let's take the Book of Revelation. Okay, it will be written in two halves. Okay, so the uh, you have the first half and the second half. And what will happen is in the first half of the book of Revelation or any other chiastically written story, uh, you'll have certain themes like theme A, B, C, D. And what'll happen is in the second half of the story, you will see the same themes repeated, but in reverse order. So theme A at the beginning will th be theme A at the end. And then theme B, B, C, C, D, D, and they work together until you get to the middle of the story or where the two halves meet. And that uh, that middle portion uh, quite often is what's called the central axis. And one of the main ways that uh, the central axis function functions is as the most important part of the story. So if you read a a book like the book of Revelation, the entire book is written as one chiastic structure where um, um, the themes in the first half are repeated in the second half. And then the very middle, uh, which is the most important part of the book, is Revelation chapter 12. And so it's like a divine highlighter pointing you to Revelation 12 as the key to understanding the book. Yeah, I really like that, that, you know, you can see things that you probably missed before just reading it straight through. And now, like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense. So I'm going to go ahead and pick back up on chapter 12 that we were discussing on our last podcast. Mm -hmm. um, let me see if I can <clears throat> share this. And all things Revelation. So this is from his website, restorationoftorah.org. Mm -hmm. And you can go under all things Revelation where he has many of these studies. And I think we picked this one in the past. Right. right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think where we left out last time was I was wondering about just really at the beginning of what it meant with the woman that was clothed in the sun and the moon under her feet and her head a garland of 12 stars and i think you mentioned that was the connection uh with joseph's story with his mm -hmm. 11 brothers and his mother was the representing of the moon and the father what was the father representative uh, okay. he was represented by the sun okay and then the brothers were the together were the 12 stars correct um but still, okay, so I now understand that there's a parallel in the story of Joseph and Revelation. But then 
how does that break, you know, what is it really trying to tell us by making that connection way back mm -hmm. then? Um, what was the book that the Joseph story was in? Um, Genesis. Genesis. Okay. So this seems like, okay, we have some, you know, something going on in Genesis that's repeating itself at the very end of the book. That Correct. in itself is, so maybe the whole Bible is set up in this uh, same chiastic structure, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what it's hinting at. Um, and uh, so, for instance, there are many things that you read about in the book of Revelation that you will not read about until you get back to, uh, I mean, sorry, there are many things that you read about in the book of Genesis that you will not read about until you get to the book of Revelation. So think about the introduction of us to the tree of life, okay? The tree yeah. of life was introduced to us in the book of Genesis, and then we pretty much don't see it again until when? The book of revelation so that right. shows you some of the chiastic nature of the of the bible where a yeah. theme yeah so it's like you really have to kind of go from the very beginning to understand what's going on now um so what do you think it means why did was this passage said this way if it's trying to relay back the information from genesis mm -hmm. So um, again, so uh, when you when you're looking at a, a chiastic analysis, as I said, the themes in the beginning will be will be repeated in the end. And so, if you look at uh, the book of Genesis as element A, right in the first half, and if you look at the book of Revelation as element A prime in the second half, then there will be many thematic connections or similarities between the book of Genesis and the book. Of Revelation, and so one of the way, one of the reasons this is done is to help teach us so that we can understand. So, in other words, there are things in the Book of Genesis that are going to help us understand uh, in the Book of Revelation, and there are things in the Book of Revelation that will help us understand the th the uh, things in the Book of Genesis. And so, when you realize that, and when you realize the chi chiastic nature of the Bible, then it's going to help you. So, for instance, one of the reasons why you see the connection between the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a garland of 12 stars, that's thematically connected back to the book of Genesis, to uh, Joseph and his dream, as we said. And so one of the reasons why Adonai does this is so that uh, we can know who this woman is, you see, because the book of Revelation is using um, lots of imagery, okay? And so the only way that you can understand so when the book when 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 uh, a prophetic book is using imagery you need to know how to interpret that imagery so how do you do that well you do that by making these thematic connections and so by seeing the woman clothed with the sun the moon under her feet and the 12 stars in the book of revelation then the answer to who is this woman is given to us uh, in the book of Genesis because, as I said, Jacob and his family—they are Jacob and his family—they are the beginning of that nation of Israel. The mm -hmm. other, so so that's one way how if you're reading something in the book of Revelation, the book of Genesis will help you interpret it. Now the other way around, where if you're reading something in the book of Genesis and Revelation can help you, is when it says that uh, in Genesis three fifteen, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. So the question is, who is the seed of the woman? 
Well, that question of who is the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent in the book of Genesis in the third chapter, the answer to that is in Revelation 12, verse 17. Because Revelation 12, as a matter of fact, yeah, if you scroll down, um, so as you see, listen to what Revelation 12 says. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. We're saying that's Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Now, if you look in the King James, first of all, in the King James version in, in uh, Genesis 3, it says, I will put enmity, enmity between your seed and the, and the woman's seed. So yeah, let's find that verse 15. In the King James, yeah, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. So now look at that phrase there. This is the seed of the woman, right? Now mm -hmm. let's go to Revelation 12, 17 in the King James. Let's do that because that's where you'll see this connection uh, the best. So in Revelation, in Genesis 3, we see it's the seed of the woman, right? Now, when we go to Revelation 12, 17 in the King James, look at what it says. And the dragon was wroth with, with the woman and went to make war with who? The remnant of her seed. So here we have the remnant of the seed, the, the seed of who? The woman. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. So the book of Genesis tells us that there's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And then in, in Revelation 12, 17, we see that the seed of the woman are those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ or Yeshua the Messiah. And so the book of Revelation shows us who the seed of the woman is. The seed of the woman are those who follow Messiah. And by, uh, and by um, deduction, the seed of the serpent, uh, if the seed of the woman are those who keep God's commandments and have the testimony of, of Yeshua, then the seed of the serpent is those who don't keep God's commandments. Right. And so we just saw both ways there, how revelation helps us interpret Genesis, but something in Genesis helps us interpret something in revelation. Yeah, definitely. And you have a very good memory for all these verses. <laughs> uh, going back to the first uh, sentence there, we know, wow, we just discussed who the woman is, but mm -hmm. what about like, it's still using astrological signs. So mm -hmm. How would you interpret the sun, the moon, and who would be the 12 stars? Uh, I think maybe you had mentioned the 12 stars could be the 144,000 maybe? Or not? Um, so let's do this. Let's go to generate, let's go to Genesis 1, 14 through 16. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to show you. So I, I believe that Reve Revelation 12, 1 is thematically connected not only to the story of Joseph, but also to this story here. And it says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs, for seasons, for days. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two lights. Now listen to what he says about the lights, um, two great lights. The greater light is to rule, okay, the day, and the lesser light is to rule the night. So in other words, the first time that we're introduced to the sun and the moon, the sun and the moon have been put in place to have to rule, 
Okay, mm -hmm. so they rule over the darkness. They have authority over the darkness. So mm -hmm. that's the sun and the moon. Now, this woman is clothed with what? She's clothed with the sun and the moon. So when we know that the sun and the moon were given to have authority and to rule, this woman is clothed with that which is to have authority and rule. And so again, this points to the woman being someone who is going to rule uh, and reign. And so God has a, you know, given his kingdom uh, to a nation called Israel. And so that that's that woman. So the connection here is just this, that the sun and the moon, when they're first introduced to us in scripture, and that's very important whenever something is first introduced to us, the sun and the moon are connected to ruling and reigning and authority. And so this woman is clothed with the sun and the moon. So in other words, she's clothed, she's supposed to rule and reign. So that's one connection. But then the other connection is to Joseph. And right. so um, the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, Jacob, when he when, when Jacob interpreted Joseph's dream, Jacob said, shall, because remember the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they made obeisance or they bowed down to Joseph. Mm -hmm. And so Jacob, his father, when he, he interpreted that and he said, shall I and your mother and your brothers bow down before you? In other words, the sun is Jacob. The moon is uh, his mother and the 11 stars are his brothers. And of course, Jacob would make the 12th star. So this is a clear thematic connection to the nation of Israel, where Jacob is a picture of the nation of Israel. But um, then how would you interpret Israel today with authority? Because that's what mm -hmm. we're saying is clothed with authority yeah. And then how, what is that represent, like the 12 stars, the garland, what does that represent today? The 12 tribes that are going to rule and reign. So oh, right now we don't see them ruling and reigning. Right. You know, right now, right now we don't see them. Just like for a time period, just like, uh, you sh you, just like, um, you know, there have been times where the nation of Israel fulfilled their role. So during the time of Solomon, Israel fulfilled her role as being head of the nations. You remember in Deuteronomy that Adonai promised the nation of Israel that if they would walk in his uh, commandments, that they would be the head of the nations, that they would basically be a light to the world, and they would be a witness to the rest of the world of the one and only true God, and they would rule and reign over all nations. That was their ultimate goal. And for the most part, they haven't been able to do that. They did it under the reign of Solomon. And then, but there have been many times that Israel has not even, where other people have ruled over her. And so we're in this, we're, we're in this period of time now where even though Israel is the nation that God has chosen to one day rule the world through, they are not fulfilling that role right now. So right, you know, right now they're not fulfilling that role. But of course, you know, we believe in Adonai's promises that one day he will fulfill his promises uh, to Israel and that she will again uh, be head over all the nations with Messiah as her king. Okay, so what about, why does it say a great sign appeared in heaven? If it is a representative of future Israel that's mm -hmm. going to reign with all the 12 tribes, why does it need to say a great sign appeared in heaven? 
Is that um, referring think, to Christ? Um, I think it's, I think, um, so there are, so there's, so you see here, there's two great signs. There's two signs that appear. So one is right there. The great sign appeared in heaven. The other one is right there in verse in Revelation 12, 3. It says, and another sign appeared in heaven. Not a great sign, but another sign. Right. So, uh, so um, I mean, as far as I know, um, I mean, from what I see, um, these are, uh, this was some kind of celestial sign that uh, John saw of a future event, you know, that both of these events would be future to his time. So right. I'm, I'm so the not sure. If I guess why uh, I was asking, because people have made this sign into a celestial sign. And I think they said it, it already happened. This, ah, okay. the way how yeah. uh, stars came together. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what we're talking about is completely different than oh, absolutely. watching it you know, in the heaven. Absolutely. So that's why I'm wondering why would God say there's a great sign appeared in heaven if it means mm -hmm. some sort of parallel to something else that's actual physical thing. Yeah. That's yeah, and that's because that's the nature of uh, apocalyptic uh, scripture. So whether whether we're reading here or the book of Zechariah, so Zechariah, there's all sorts of imagery that's used in apocalyptic literature. You notice how the book of Revelation is totally different than any other New Testament book. Right? Yeah, it's not. You know, once you get to the book of Revelation, it's like, okay, we've got something a little different here, yeah, right? It's like a big sci-fi movie, right? And um, so, part of the reason why is because this is something that's supposed to be for the future, and right. Adonai did not. He did not want people to. He didn't want us to understand it all at the beginning. Um, right. This, this, the book of Revelation is going to have its greatest importance to the revelate to the generation that experiences these, these events. That's who is going to have the most. I mean, it has, it has relevance to every generation of God's people, but it's going to have its most relevance to that, that generation that experiences it. And so, uh, God uses um, he uses this, this, uh, these pictures and this figurative language because he's hiding it so that he can reveal it when he's ready. Okay. And so, yeah. So, so I don't think, <laughs> so now, you know, happening. going back to what you said about some have interpreted this yeah. as a uh, signs in the heaven, that may be true. Okay. That may, you know, these things may have happened in the heavens. Right. But, but uh, is that I, reflective of what's actually being said here? Uh, yeah, probably so. I, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but that could be. But what I would say is that what Adonai is showing me is that these are events that are going to, these are just, this is figurative language to speak of actual events that will happen at a future time. And so the, this is the interpretation that he's given me. I can't, you know, I'm not going to speak to the signs in the heaven because I don't know much about it at all, right. but um, it would, it wouldn't, I, it wouldn't doubt me at all. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it at all. Well, there are people are using that sign in the heavens as some sort that revelation has already started and the great tribulation. So I don't think that has happened yet. And the sign may have appeared exactly yeah. when we saw it, but yeah. I don't think that connection is there for me. Yeah. So I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to uh, this 
1234a, where uh, it's talking about another sign, Behold, Great Fiery Red Dragon, with seven heads, ten horns, with seven didiums on his head. Mm-hmm. He drew a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth. So mm-hmm. there's two things going on here. One, if, you know, we were talking about, like, how that represents to us today, is talking about, like, kings and a, a system that's put in place. Mm-hmm. With, uh, I think horns, I forgot what, I had written it down before, what heads meant, what horns meant, and the seven didium is the crowns on mm-hmm. their head. Mm-hmm. So it seems like seven kings maybe, and out of ten rulers, and then seven authority figures over the ten rulers. Mm-hmm. How would you put that out? So uh, I'm still working on that one. <laughs> yeah so yeah. but uh the ten horns uh yeah so usually a uh, horn represents strength uh and power of some sort um right. and then the heads uh as you said uh quite often the heads could be uh you know individual leaders or or you know of some sort so uh yeah so i'm still i'm still looking at that the revelation i think it actually defined what all those were the heads, the horns, and the crowns. But either way, it seems like uh, the great, like it's Satan setting up a system, right, right. of rulership yes. that's going to take over the whole world. And mm-hmm. probably seven kings that are going to be ruling each of their section. But then the next part, it says the tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them onto the earth. So mm-hmm. is this when Satan's going to make his debut on planet earth with all his angels uh that's what i believe yes so at some point uh he's going to be cast out of heaven you know he has access to heaven um you know where he's the accuser of the brethren we see this in the book of job where he was able to present himself before the lord you know the lord just kind of had a casual con casual Mm -hmm. conversation with him you know satan where you know where have you been he's like "Ah, i've been walking to and fro throughout the earth uh but at but uh, in the book of revelation there's going to come a time where he will be cast to the earth so here's my confusion though um Mm -hmm. it's because throughout you know our history it seems like well satan's ruling the world right Mm -hmm. Um, like he's already here spiritually um, so this third of, you know, where he was cast down to earth, did that, so here it seems like it's still yet to happen in the future, right? Right. Because the B system hasn't really come to light yet. Right. And this sentence is after that. So, but then it seems like he's already on earth ruling everything and making all this stuff happen. He absolutely so, is. Yeah. So is he just roaming around on earth and he's not physically present, but then he will be physically present in this time frame? So, um, I mean, he, you know, he's a spirit, so I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be physically present. I mean, he'd have to occupy a, a physical human body. And I think that that's part of what is the power behind um, the anti-Messiah is that he is indwelled, uh, that he is actually indwelled by Satan. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. But what, but, what I mean, is this he, casting uh, to earth is all about, though? What does that mean? If he's already um, hanging out in spiritual, you know. Yeah. So I, I think uh, I think what it's saying is that 
the book, the book of Revelation is going to be that final battle where God is going to overthrow him. And I think probably what's happening here is this is the first part of God setting up his kingdom and God overthrowing Satan and his kingdom. And the first part of it is uh, you will now be thrown to the earth and you will no longer have access to heaven. You know, your, your ability to come and accuse my saints is over with. And so he's going to be cast to earth. And then as you read later on in the book of, in, in chapter 12, it says specifically that the devil has come down to the earth, right? Uh, let's go down a little bit in, in this right here. Um, and it says, right, yeah, let's start reading in verse 12. It says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But what does it say? It says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And why? And the sea, why? Because the devil has come down to you. Now, this is a good example of the chiastic nature. So where the devil is coming down to you, that was talked about up earlier in, right. in, in the uh, other part of th this chapter here. So right. it's the same event. And see, this is what I mean by the chiastic nature. Well, it's written in a thematic pattern because it talks about the devil being cast down earlier and now it's talking about it again. And so uh, he was cast to the earth. And then when he was cast to the earth, that's when it, it says he knows he has a short time. And right. it specifically talks about persecuting this woman. And in verse 14, it says that he's going to persecute her for a time, times and a half time. You right. know, even as it said up in Revelation 12, 6 there in the purple, it says that he that they should that the woman is going to flee into the woods. So right here where it says the woman is going to flee into the wilderness in the first half. Yeah. Well, it talks about the woman fleeing in the wilderness down where we just read also. Right. All right. All right. So, so um, right here. Cast it to earth to basically yes. come after descendants of Israel. Right. Right. Um, so, so you see in verse 14, see, see that C prime right there. C yeah. prime revelation 12, 14. Right. And notice that she's gone. Uh, it says the woman was given it uh, wings of an eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. Now go back up to C. And notice what it says. The woman fled where? Into the wilderness. You see how what happens in the first half is repeated in the second half. And in the, in the first half, it says that she's there for 1,260 days. And in the second half, uh, I showed you where it says a time. And you see the purple? So I've got mm -hmm. everything color coordinated. And right. so the purple down here says for a time, times, and a half time. And so this is what I mean by this. this the story that you're reading here is not written in chronological order. Order is written in a thematic pattern so right. that the themes in the first half will be repeated in the second half. So what we read in, in C up above is the same event as Revelation 12, 4 in C prime and Revelation 12, 14 at the bottom. It's the same event. So you got four connections there. So you've got the connections in the red. Uh, so let's do this. Let's 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 do this. But the woman was given the wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness in her place. Let's go up to see and let's read what's in the red there. Look, the woman fled into the wilderness. See the same thing. Now, let's read what it says in the green here. It says where she has a place prepared by God. Let's go back down to, to Revelation 12, 14. And it says 
uh, from the presence of the serpent, right? So mm-hmm. she's away from God, but in the presence of the serpent. Let's le- read the black here. It says where she is nourished. Now let's go back up to Reve- uh, to 12, 6. Um, and look, it says that they should feed her. See, that's yeah. connected to where she is nourished. And then, of course, it's kind of like he's telling you half the story and then trying to make connections in the second half. So yeah, full story. Yeah. But um, so if we're relaying this to this finale war between the saints and Satan, mm-hmm. which hasn't happened yet, none of this has happened yet, right? Correct. Um, so. It seems like the persecution will begin, but then God is protecting the saints, the remnant. So you've got uh, three. You've got three different groups of people here, and so um, number one is you have the woman, and right. the woman is national Israel. Okay, the people who are living over in Israel in the land. That's that's who the woman is. Uh, and then you have the ch- the man child up here in Revelation 12, uh, 2. She being with child cried out in labor and praying to give birth. And then it talks about in verse uh, 12, 4, 5, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to devour her child. She Verse 5, she bore a male child. So that's a second entity right there is the male child. And then the third entity is in Revelation 12, 17, the remnant of her seed. So those are three different groups of people of God. And so um, what what the Lord has shown me is that the woman is national Israel that the male child that's born is are the is the 144,000 overcomers a group of people and the remnant of her seed is very uh is easy to know it says verse 17 those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua and so, so that's, that's all the people yeah believe, yeah. Right? yeah so those are all believers um, that, you know, may not, you know, necessarily be part of the woman Israel, national Israel. So the devil is making war against three different groups of, of autonized people, the woman, national Israel, uh, the remnant of her seed, who are those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua. I'm in that group. And so are you. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the man, the man child. And that, you know, and so the identity of the man child, that's the big one. And what the father's shown me is that the man child is the 144,000, not Yeshua. So a lot so, of people think that it's Yeshua. Yeah. I mean, I even got confused with that because it <laughs> seemed like if, you know, the woman who gave birth to the male child, mm-hmm. if it was Israel, you know, that's where Jesus was born. Right. But, you know, it's also talking about future. So, yes, it's easily confused. So I got about a few minutes left unless you want to continue the second half. But um, I did want to go over. So here it was talking about, you know, protecting the woman right in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So what about the rest of us? Do we get protected? Um, I believe that many of us will be protected. I, I, I believe that two things will be happening. I believe that there will be many people, um, who will be martyred because, um, this revelation makes that like abundantly clear. So there will be a number of people that will be martyred, um, probably thousands upon thousands. Um, but 
I also believe that um, the man. I believe that the the man child, for various reasons, uh, not only will they um, the, not only will they protect Israel, but I believe that it's. I believe it's going to be a, a time of unprecedented miracles, and we have the story of Daniel, uh, which shows us that because on the one hand, Adonai's people were being persecuted because they were taking uh, they were taken into captivity. But on the other hand, we had a lot of miracles, such as Daniel uh, being mm -hmm. delivered from the lion's den, the, the three Hebrew right. children going into the fire, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that's a lot behind a really all of that. Story. <laughs> well, Daniel, I think, gives a lot of hope because, you know, that was the exact scenario that kind of happened now with Absolutely. the where people had to bow down to Absolutely. All the rules. And, the ones that resisted, and it looked like it was just him and his friends that resisted, where God protected him from total, you know, annihilation in the furnace. Mm -hmm. So I do think that we're going to have similar things, but it's not always clear because it does talk about in the book of Revelation of uh, many, the, the, uh, the dragon makes war with the saints, but then he, the saints are overcome. Yes. Moment, right. And then. Absolutely. And then the two witnesses are also overcome. Absolutely. So yeah, it talks about people not loving their lives, you know, not, not uh, loving their lives to the death where. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we just figured out that there's three groups of people. Uh, the woman, the 144,000 and the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So if we were to go back 12, 4B, uh, 5. So the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who would rule all the nations with the rod of iron. Mm -hmm. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So I know you said that the child here represents the 144,000. Mm -hmm. But then it also sounds like Jesus Christ as the child who got caught up to God. And, mm -hmm. and he's the one that was going to be ruling with the rod of iron. And I know last time you made a connection with the rod of iron to connect it with the 144,000. So, right. so what I, so this is what happened here. So, um, uh, many people read this passage here and think it's Yeshua for two reasons. And one of them is right here. It says she bore a male child who was right. to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Right. And so that, that phrase there, ruling all nations with a rod of iron. So Revelation 19, 15, when Yeshua returns and Revelation 19 and verse 15, it specifically says, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, that he should rule them with a rod of iron. So there's that phrase right there. So mm -hmm. we do know that Yeshua is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron right there. And then mm -hmm. also, if you go to Psalm 2, you will see that uh, Psalm 2 is a uh, prophetic passage. And if we go, to, uh, let's see here. Do, 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 um, let's go down a little further because it talks about, okay, somewhere. Oh, right there. Verse nine. 
It says, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt da dash them to pieces in a potter's vessel. So this mm -hmm. is a, Psalm 2 is a messianic prophecy. And it says that the Lord is going to rule with that rod of iron in verse 9. Right. And so then it says, so in Revelation 19, 15, so the, 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 it's, it's tempting to just say right off the bat, this is Yeshua. But right. if you turn to Revelation 3, uh, it's actually going to be 26 through 20, uh, 27, Revelation 2, 26 through 27. Yep. So it says, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And notice what it says about those who overcome. He, this is, this is people, not Yeshua. Right. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessels. Exactly what we just read in Psalm 2. Right. But this is not about Yeshua. So what I would ask people to do is to just see that at least at this point, the Bible is, is open, opening up the fulfillment of Psalm 2 to not just the Messiah, but also Messiah says to those who overcome. So those who overcome, they also will rule. And then a second place where this is talked about is Revelation 3 and uh, verse 20. Let's look at verse 20 to 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Now notice again about the overcomers. To him who overcomes... Now listen to what he says here. I will grant to sit with me on my throne, on my throne. And as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, I think a lot of times we read that passage and don't really think about what it's saying. Let's, let's think about what this passage just said. This path. Now we know that Yeshua, Jesus is going to be ruling the, the, uh, during the millennium and then throughout eternity. But look what he says here. He says to him that overcomes, I will grant to do what? Sit with me on my throne. That so, is, that is, that's just one of those crazy statements that you have to, you have to really sit back and think and say, now, what did I just hear? Right. Yet he literally said that they're going to be a group of people. He calls them overcomers. He that overcomes that will literally sit with him on his throne. Now that, that, has, <laughs> that, that also brings up more questions now. Oh, it always of, does. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, if millions and millions of people around the world are going to be saved, it's, you know, it's, it's talked about that in the, mm -hmm. in the revelation. So, Millions of people can't sit next to him in the throne and be all rulers, right? Right. Absolutely. So this has to be a very small group that's overcoming stuff. You're correct. Failures? No, it's just that, you know, it's just that this is a very small, select group of people. Think about this. You know, what the makes Lord them different than us? Huh? What makes them different than us that they are able to overcome? And are we just like hanging out in life and in faith, but we're not that good enough? Well, uh, the Lord always re rewards the most faithful. Let me put it this way. If I compare myself to the Apostle Paul, 
<laughs> well, no, well, yeah. well, hold on. Hear, hear what I'm saying here, right? Let's, 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 let's you and I compare ourselves to the Apostle Paul. Well, let me, I'll just leave it to myself. All right. Yeah, I don't leave it to myself. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I am no Paul. Right. And I'm going to tell you something. Paul is going to be and do things in the future kingdom that Tony Robinson is not going to do and not be a part of because he has he has he has overcome like overcome he's going to even Paul talks about um people having a greater resurrection he talks about people he talks about people who refused to be let go while they were tortured so that they could have a better res resurrection. So basically what I'm saying is that you're right. It can't be every believer. You can't have millions of people on the throne. And mm -hmm. you're also right. It sounds like it's going to be a select few. And I believe it's going to, I believe that that few is going to be 144,000 for lots of reasons. I've got lots of reasons here. How well, I can let's talk that. about that because you did yeah. point out a verse that, mm -hmm. Uh, connected the 144,000 to the one that was uh, born man-child. Where yes. did we go to look at that? I still have questions about this wonderful overcomers with the rest of us. Okay. They, they get to sit by the throne and rule. Yes. So that must be pretty No, powerful. no, no. Hold on. They don't get to sit by the throne. No, no, no. <laughs> they get they to are sit in the on throne. the throne. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're essentially... Uh, heavenly kings, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. So I don't think it's just 144,000 because that's uh -huh. still a lot, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, unless he's got 144,000 thrones to, you know, next big round table. But mm -hmm. what if is I, because I didn't it talk about in Revelation about the 12 elders and, mm -hmm. you know, 24. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. Twenty-four. So perhaps it's those twenty-four elders that are sitting on the throne with him. Well, remember he he made that promise to believers, right? So he made that promise to believers who are on the earth. So the potential is for you and me to be one. Okay. So uh, it's it's an open invitation to millions right. of people. Yes. To sit on the throne with him. And if all millions were able to do it, there would be a million thrones, right? Right. And I, that's but, why I don't think it's going to be a million. <laughs> right. It's going to be a select few. So then it's really upon us to figure out how to overcome then, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, so, you know, it's kind of, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just thinking, how, overcome what? Uh, overcome like, the world. Uh, the devil and oh, yeah, but we all make the best of that choices as yeah. much as we can. Right. So, right. and we're all sinners and right. the Israelites during their time with all the, the laws, they weren't mm -hmm. able to keep them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as everybody wants to keep all perfection, nobody mm -hmm. can. So what are we overcoming when we are these broken vessels already? Um, what everyone has to overcome the world, the flesh, sin, and, and, and Satan, you know, when you think about Moses, I mean, when you think about a Moses or you think about an Elijah 
Or you think about a John the Baptist where God said, among those born of women, there's no one who's greater than John the Baptist. And he didn't keep all the commandments either. So it's not about perfectly keeping commandments. Think about David. Dave, it says, it was said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. And David committed, not only did he commit adultery, but he condemned the man to be murdered with Uriah. And yeah, yet, they basically all yeah. committed huge sins from murder to adultery right. to theft, everything yeah. that you can think of. Yeah. But they also had very big jobs in their time, right? To Absolutely. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, there's no one greater than him, but he, he had a very specific job that he was right. doing. Moses had a very specific job, King David and, and everyone. Right. So, and we are only reading their historical context, right? Mm -hmm. But in our modern day world, when we're pretty much enslaved in the system, mm -hmm. I don't, if people really realize that everything from their work to food, where, whatever they do, it's all in this, we're already controlled in the system. So mm -hmm. to overcome, and we know we can't keep perfect commandments. I think at least the 10 basic commandments, you know, those are pretty good to start with, right? Thou mm -hmm. shall not kill and steal. Mm -hmm. So let's say we got almost most of those and we're still breaking somewhere along the way. Um, so I think there has to be more to what we're actually overcoming, even mm -hmm. though we're still sinning. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, let's say that, you know, you and I want to make this goal that I want to sit on that throne with God. Mm -hmm. What would make our lives different than all those before us and the, what's to come for a future, the ones that are going to have to martyred and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, are we just yeah. like the peasants of, you know, watching this happen, but maybe, I mean, so that's why I'm, I guess why I'm wondering if there's more to what, what are we overcoming? Even if we yeah. try. I mean, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can only, I can only think of, <laughs> I can think of, we have to overcome ourselves, our own flesh and our sin. And that is like humongous <laughs> right there. Right. And then we also have to overcome this world. You know, the Bible talks about the fact uh, that God, you know, God's people who have overcome this world, that Yeshua overcame the world. Right. He said he said that we're to overcome the world and then we need to overcome Satan. I think that there's enough there for people to be able to I think there's enough there for people to be able to distinguish them, you know, themselves in some way. And not that there may not be. I mean, there may be something else. It's just that I don't know. I think I'm, what just, you I'm said just putting is, it in those three categories. Yeah. But I'm just saying there are people there are people who have lived on this earth who have done who have done this the moseses the elijahs the uh you know maybe even the the the, the mary the deborahs the uh, you know all of these different people the the um the 12 apostles and especially especially paul oh my goodness right mm -hmm. so see i can't i can't even i mean you know the apostle paul i, I can't even i can't even you know he did it I, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. <laughs> well, I think you're also doing it too. It's just different. You know, it's it's a different task for you yeah. than it was for Paul. Yeah. But I think what you said earlier that we 
really are to overcome Satan, that might be is what we're dealing with all the time. And if we don't recognize what's satanic and what's not, mm-hmm. you know, and be able to resist, because a lot of it, the Bible talks about resisting the flesh. Mm-hmm. And the flesh is always what it wants, what Satan has to offer. So mm-hmm. I can see how that becomes a trap all the time. And all the time, 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> right. So perhaps who are able to resist a little bit more than some of us, mm-hmm. now they might be able to overcome it. But yeah. I'm hoping there's more to this and that's something that people can actually follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, or strive for rather mm-hmm. than just hoping that, you know. Well, I mean, we're, we're all supposed to be striving to, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Messiah. I mean, Ephesians tells us that we're called, that that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is for you and for me to live our lives in such a way that we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. Right. And how does that happen? That happens, you know, in my limited view, prop, prop, most likely through overcoming in those three areas and through suffering. Right. You see, the Bible says that it's through much suffering that we enter the kingdom. And so I think so there's something we can add to that list. Right. So we can say overcoming the flesh, overcoming Satan, overcoming the world and the sufferings of Messiah within us. And so see Paul, you know, so, you know, right. So the, the sufferings, um, that's going to mark those, um, who have, uh, who are going to be part of at least what I, I think is 144,000. Uh, and it may not be 144,000. I'm just saying that that's what the Lord's showing me at this moment yeah. right now, but yeah, it could be some other number, but the suffering also, so well, there are lots of things think, that, as you said, there's there's lots of things that are probably going to go into how do you become that, you know, quote unquote, overcomer who will actually literally sit with him on his throne. Right. But you, I agree with you. It's not going to be everyone. It's going to be, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's only going to be, you know, cert- some certain number of people. But yeah, uh, it seems like yeah. you have to. If you have to overcome like pain and suffering and the devil all the time, mm-hmm. you are probably in a different category because it takes oh, yeah. a lot if you're suffering. Yeah, you know, that means life is giving you all kinds of stuff. Right, because like I haven't been stoned. How many times did Paul say he was stoned? Yeah, I think it was like five times or something. <laughs> <laughs> he was shipwrecked, you know, three times. You know, you're talking about suffering. Yeah, and so again, you know. Um, those and Jesus who, also suffered too. That was absolutely. the whole thing. He had to absolutely. convince people of the truth, and that's what they didn't like. Absolutely. And, and yeah, so yeah, that's suffering, and that all adds into, you know, and to be able to overcome in all of, in the face of all that adver- adversity, um, it's going to be a select group. It may not be 144, it may be some other number, but um well, let's go not to gonna be that. everyone <laughs> yeah i don't think so either because you know the 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 jesus story uh, in the desert when he was tempted by satan that's mm-hmm. a pretty powerful story in itself because mm-hmm. he was already fasting for 40 days and he was very vulnerable mm-hmm. and you know he's still uh, in the flesh mm-hmm. trying to and that probably was the greatest moment 
where he could either accept what Satan offered or reject it. And he would have failed if he went mm-hmm. to Satan. Yeah. And then I always look at that story as like Satan offered him the world, but then by rejecting it, he inherited the universe and he gave it all to us too. Yes. So Amen. it was just like, if we apply that scenario in everything that, you know, when we come across satanic things in our lives, we mm-hmm. got to remember there's something always bigger than that yeah, fruit. Absolutely. Yeah. So Very let's uh, go back to the 144,000 verse that you were going to help to make connection to. So, um, so one of the things, one of the things that I do is I show how, um, the 144,000, they have seven unique characteristics yeah. and then, um, where they're thematically connected to others. So for instance, one is the first unique connected connection. The 144,000 will not have to endure the, the time of testing known as the Great Tribulation. In, in other words, when I say that, I don't mean that they're not going to be here during the Great Tribulation, but they will be spared, whereas you read of a number of people who are martyred in um, in, in in the book of Revelation. So the 144,000 will not have to endure as in suffer uh, that time of testing, because according to Revelation 3.10, it says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. So right there, Yeshua is saying that um, because you have kept my commandment to persevere, I will keep you or protect you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on it. So therefore, the overcomers will not have to endure the testing of the great uh, tribulation. All right. The second The second one is in Revelation 3, verse 12. Notice, and uh, what I'm going to do is in Revelation 14, 1. So those are the two scriptures we're going to compare. We're going to compare Revelation 14, 1 with Revelation 3, 12. So what I'm doing here is I'm just making connections between those who overcome and uh, those who overcome with the 144,000. Because again, remember, that's kind of how I do everything. You know, you look for the thematic connections. So look what it says in Revelation 14, 1. It says, and then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000. Now look at what it says about the 144,000, that they have his father's name written on their foreheads. Now this Mm -hmm. is specifically talking about the 144,000. Now let's go over to Revelation 3.12. And Revelation 3.12 says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. Now, look at what it says. I will write on him the name of my God. So right mm-hmm. there, we have a connection between those who, we have our second connection between right. those who overcome and the 144,000 in Revelation 14. So it seems like, it is 140. If you look at what you just described oh, yeah. there, it's Absolutely. 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. Right. And their characteristics were that they followed the lamb everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. They were virgins mm-hmm. um, and all males. So are they are the only ones able to overcome because of their characteristics that they were sealed by God to begin with? And isn't there somewhere where they were preaching as well to the world? 
Not that I know of. Okay, maybe I got that wrong. Okay, so continuing on. All right, so here's characteristic number three. And again, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're, uh, so Revelation 14.4, I'm going to compare Revelation 14.4 with Revelation 2.14 and Revelation 2.20 through 22. So that's three verses. I'm going to compare Revelation 14.4 with Revelation 2.14 and Revelation 2.20 to 22. Okay. So Revelation 14.4 says, these are the ones who are not defiled with women, for mm -hmm. they are virgins, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to compare that with what it says about the overcomers in Revelation 2, 14 and 20 through 22. It says, overcomers will be victorious over, one, the doctrine of Balaam. And let me just say something right here. Notice that Remember, I just, remember, we agreed that the book of Revelation will have its greatest significance and relevance to that generation that experiences the events in the book of Revelation. Right. So let's say, let's say Yeshua does come 30 years from now, let's say. Mm -hmm. All right. So look at what Yeshua is talking about to this last generation. He's talking about the doctrine of Balaam. You see right. what I'm saying? So in other words, again, this is what I'm saying. If we want to understand the book of Revelation, we have to understand what the Torah, because see, Yeshua is saying, hey, um, you have to be, you have to overcome the doctrine of Balaam. Well, we have right. to understand what the doctrine of Balaam is. And he's speaking it to the last generation mm -hmm. and the seductions of the prophetess Jezebel. Well, the doctrine of Balaam is uh, what he did is he said, hey. Um, all you need to do is send your women over, send your Moabite and your Midianite women over into uh, Israel and have them cohabit with the men of Israel. So the doctrine of Balaam is all about sexual sin. Right. And so well, here we have a like doing that as part of their temple practice of temple prostitutes and stuff and mm -hmm. the sexual immorality and then like making that part of. Yeah. But here's saying uh, also to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication or yes. sexual yes. immorality. Right. So it seems like it's a worship thing, right? That they're mm -hmm. actually. So if this is going to happen in the future, are they going to bring this religion into the future? Are they going to what now? bring this religion this ancient religion into the future where they're actually oh yeah it's 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 happening right now whenever anytime there's fornication anytime people you there's fornication amongst god's people that's the doctrine of balaam the doctrine of balaam is that you can't overcome um, God's people, but you can, but what you can do is you can get them to sin before him so that he's against them. You know, right. so that's still going on today just as much. So for instance, I'll give you another example. The doctrine of Balaam is what's, is what happened when Jacob and his family, when they first arrived in the land in Shechem and remember, remember Dina was raped by Shechem. Yeah. Right. That was the doctrine of Balaam being played out there because notice if let's go to Genesis 34, let's go to Genesis 34 and I'm going to look that up too. So Genesis 34 and let's look. Okay. So let's start looking in verse 20. 
And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Now, notice what it says here. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let them give us and let them give. I'm sorry. And let us give them our daughters. Mm-hmm. And so. What was it that the Midianites and the Moabites did with the children of Israel? The Moabites and the Midianites sent their women over to cohabit with the children of Israel. What Mm -hmm. happened here? Shechem cohabited with Dina. And so what we see here is this is one of Satan's tools in every generation to thwart God's plan. What he does is he tries to get God's people involved in sexual sin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to throw off, you know, the gum up the works. So the bat, the, yeah. So the doctrine of Balaam is, uh, is the same thing that's happening here in Genesis 34. The whole idea that you will, um, that you will intermarry, uh, that you will intermarry with the heathen. And that's why Ezra, in the book of Ezra, that's why Ezra was so, he was so disgusted. Remember Ezra, he sat down and when he saw the children of Judah, remember it says he pulled the hair out of his beard, he plucked his beard out. And why did he do it? He said, because you guys have married women in this land. In other words, it was, they, in other words, they were mixing in with the heathen and they were marrying their women and giving each other see so this thing plays itself out in every every single generation in our generation does that mean like christians uh, marrying non-christians absolutely okay so they would be committing fornication if they did that Right. Well, not that they're committing fornication, but they're assimilating, you know, they're assimilating. And that's what see, that's what that's what the Shechemites were trying to do with Jacob and his family. They were trying to get Jacob and his family to assimilate with them, you know, through intermarriage. That's what happened with the Jews when they returned to Jerusalem from uh, Babylon. And that's what got Ezra so upset because Ezra understood what was going on, because, see, the 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 from Judah that came back from Babylon, when they started intermarrying with the women of the land, Ezra, he was like, what are you guys doing? He's like, you know, basically Ezra's thinking, duh, haven't we been through this before with the incident of Baal Peor, where the Midianites and the Moabites sent their women up over here? Duh, what are you guys doing? You know, so it's all about, it's all about assimilation with the world. Let's well that that's a good point for us to know because mm-hmm. we don't want to be repeating the same thing. Right. Uh, but going back to this verse in Revelation two fourteen, mm-hmm. um, so it seems like it's tying two different things though, because it uses an and now mm-hmm. eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So Absolutely. It that seems to be going hand in hand. Um are we sacrificing stuff? I mean, is that happening right now? So the whole, the, uh, the whole, we're not literally, okay, so we, we don't literally, okay, sacrifice to idol as they did. Right. But they're eating things, but the whole idea 
of eating things that we shouldn't be eating, you know. So again, so see, I'm messing. But I mean, like, if this is supposed to happen in future, right, where they're going to be bringing those doctrine of Balaam Mm -hmm. back, Mm -hmm. and this is something the 144,000 are going to reject, right? Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. means the world is going to be doing this, right? Right. So if the world is going to be doing this in the future, it's going to look something of this nature where they're sacrificing to idols and committing sexual immorality as in hand in hand, not or, but and. Mm-hmm. Right? So right. what would that look like? Well, one of the things that it would look like would be, would, would be eating unclean foods. Right. But I think it's saying more to that here, though, right? Eating... Sacrifice, like it seems to be offering it to gods, the lesser gods of whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, not eating kosher foods or biblically foods, um, that's a different thing. That's for health reasons, right? It's not necessarily mm-hmm. for worship or unless. Um- well, everything that we do is everything we do is in worship to Adonai. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I agree with that. But I mean, like the whole uh, biblical in um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. that was more than just worship. It was actually for them to keep, so they could keep their body pure and holy, right? Um, more or less, like trying to help them not get contaminated with foods. Like if it was talking about eating clean foods versus mm-hmm. unclean foods, it was like giving them a way to keep themselves healthy and, and disease free. Right. If they follow those laws. Well, so kind of, kind of from what I get from that is that, it, that it was, it was not a physical thing, but what made you the whole idea of clean and unclean, is that there are certain things that contaminated you ritually so that you could not go to the temple and you couldn't worship. So in other words, in, in, in other words, there were in other words, there were things that you could do, like for instance, if you touched a dead body. All right. So yeah. now think about that. When you touch a dead body, you, Physically, you're not contaminating yourself. I mean, physically, it's just another dead body. I mean, it's just a body. I mean, it is dead, but I mean, it's not like... I think you are. That's what I kind of learned yeah. from it, is that the, there are certain... Once the decay starts happening mm-hmm. in the dead body, mm-hmm. that, you know, there are, like, bacterial breakdown and that... Oh, yeah. But so I mean, let's take, for instance, that. let's take, for instance, supposing, supposing I have a relative who dies in yeah. my arm. Let's say a relative right. dies in my arms, okay? Yeah, like that wouldn't do anything. Now, physically, that's right. that's not going to do anything to me. But, right. but as far as worship in the temple was concerned, that was a great defilement. And right. you could not go into the temple. And what I'm saying is that it's the same with eating unclean foods. Right. It's not, it's, it's, it wasn't, it's not a dietary thing in the sense of, you know, it's going to make you healthy. It was something that made you unclean so that you couldn't go into the temple. So for yeah, the most Jesus part, also mm-hmm. said, Jesus also said that uh, he made everything clean, right? So. Uh, I don't know the verse because I don't have memory. Well, that's where, you know, so that's where, you know, because, you know, that's where, you know, as a messianic, you know, as me being messianic, 
So there's certain parts of the Bible, you know, that I, I that I look at differently. So the whole idea behind clean and unclean food, like I don't eat pork, right? And I, I don't eat pork because Leviticus says that I'm only supposed to eat things that. Uh, well, I agree with you there because I don't eat the same thing only because if Bible says no, I'm not going to eat it, but. Yeah. What Jesus said in the New Testament that he made all things clean. It's not what goes into you that gets defiled is what comes out of you. So in, if I were to follow his teachings, I could mm -hmm. eat pork and not, you know, have. But here's the thing. When Yeshua said that he wasn't talking about eating clean and unclean food. That's no, not that's, what he was talking about is this. The disciples were going through the fields and they were plucking off kernels of corn and eating it. And they, and so the, and so the Pharisees were upset and they said, your disciples are not washing their hands the way the fathers. So in other words, the Jews had come up with all sorts of rituals where before you ate, you had to, you know, pour water here, pour water over that and wash your hands a certain way. Yeah. And so what Yeshua in that whole context, Yeshua was not talking about clean food versus unclean food. What he was talking about is clean food, the kernels of corn, that they can't be made defiled just because you didn't wash your hands the way the rabbi said. Because the rabbi said you, you were defiled right. if you didn't wash your hands a certain way. So that whole story, it didn't revolve around whether the disciples were eating pork or whether they weren't eating pork. It was all about whether or not something could be made unclean just because you didn't wash your hands. Right. And so Yeshua is, when it says that he declared all, all foods clean, what he is saying in context, it is you can't make food unclean just because you don't follow the laws of the Pharisees. And so that's right, kind of- I agree with that. But, um, I yeah. have about one minute left. So this looks like it's going to be a much bigger conversation for next time. And <laughs> I know, we keep getting that, into I, different I subjects. Like, <laughs> this, I feel like it was a much bigger topic because I know there are other verses that talk yeah. about. So maybe yeah. we can compare and contrast all of that next time. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate this so much. Um, so I, I hope that you have time to go do more topics in the future. Absolutely. Um, I, 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 I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm glad that you're, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity and no, hopefully, uh, hopefully other people are benefiting from our discussion. Oh, I'm sure they will. And I will, uh, post all this, uh, at the very end and I will talk to you next time. Cause I think this is going to kick me out. And, uh, so we'll be in touch cause I really want to do the next, uh, topic, which we're just ending with now. Okay. I think a lot of people would benefit from that too. All right. Thanks so much. Thank Goodbye, you. Goodbye, everyone. Great night.